Hey, it's Swedenborg Live. What's up, everybody? So excited to get to talk about the important things in life with all of you. And, oh yeah, I'm Curtis Childs, I'm director here at Off the Left Eye. And I've got a really great panel with me here of expert Swedenborg scholars. First one, Kara Dom. Hello, Kara. welcome. Hi, Curtis. Happy to be here. It's a beautiful, beautiful spring day today. And I uh, really loved getting out there in the flowers and the and the birds. Hope we're having going to have some fun tonight. Excellent. Yeah. Springtime of the mind to come here. Uh, sitting next to Cara virtually is Chelsea Odner. How are you, Chelsea? Hey, Curtis. And hey, everyone else. I'm so happy to be here. And yeah, I always look forward to the places we'll go, you know, spiritually speaking, together on this during this time. So yeah, looking forward to it. And journeying to those places with us, rounding out our motley crew is Karin Childs. Welcome, Karin. How are you? Hello, Curtis and Chelsea and Kara and everybody. Thanks for coming. And yeah, looking forward to talking with you all about just interesting things, thinking about this spiritual dimension of life and how it how it affects our earthly life and what to do about it all. So glad to, glad to be here. Excellent. And I got to say something. I just say something important. Tonight, not only are we doing Swedenborg Live, but this is the start, the launch, the kickoff of our remembrance campaign at the Swedenborg Foundation. So this is where we're giving a chance to anybody to give a donation in memory or tribute to a loved one. And this campaign officially starts tonight. It runs through the end of May, where we're going to announce the results on our live show on the 30th. Every dollar that you gift during this campaign will be matched. So if you give $5, we'll end up getting $10 to do our mission of spreading Swedenborg's message all the way up to $15,000 of matching. We had a very generous anonymous donor couple support us by giving that 15,000 that we can only really unlock if we get contributions from all of you that match that over the course of this month. So everything you do here goes twice as far and it gets even better. You can actually organize other people that you know to conduct your own mini campaign. So you can be a, a fundraising nucleus for us and the individual that or team that raises the most money will be hosted to some personal time with our off the left eye personalities before an upcoming show so you could hang out with us backstage before this show to donate tonight all of your donations will go towards this go to off the left eye.com or otle.com slash donate we will be keeping track of what we can raise tonight let's start this thing out with a bang get us moving towards our goal of 15,000 before the end of May. Okay, cool. So let's get to the questions. If you're new here, just write a question in the chat. We'll try to grab it and get to as many as we can. The first one is from Too Many Feathers, who asks, in studying coping strategies related to overwhelming trauma, I've encountered individuals who disassociate in varying degrees. Where does the soul go in such circumstances and how can it reconnect? That's a, that's a great thing to think about. And I don't know if we've ever had a question quite like it here. So let's, let's see what we can say. Um, Karin, do you want to start us off? Sure. Um, 
from what I understand, uh, disassociation, when that happens in, in uh, connection with trauma, is a protective measure. It's, uh, I was reading an article about it, and uh, this article is saying that it's one step beyond fight or flight. It's a, it's a, a response to danger and trauma, and it's a way to protect oneself from, from uh, fully experiencing something um, terrible or violent. And so that is, it's a kind of protective measure, but I do understand like some people can get, um, just like we can get caught in fight or flight stress patterns, even when there isn't any danger anymore, uh, that can happen for some people with disassociation. Um, it's, yeah, it's very interesting to think about what's happening with a person's spirit. I know that um, it, it, it doesn't seem that the person is, completely separated from their earthly life or, or unaware of it, so to speak. Um, but just that from what I was reading, again, I haven't experienced it myself, but that they feel like they're not quite fully there. They can see what's going on, but maybe can't feel all the sensations uh, or, or really um, feel like they're totally there in their body. Um, we definitely have um, so many layers and levels to us. And I think that there, there are, um, you know, there are parts of us and parts of our being and our spirit that are in many different levels of the spiritual world, as well as the, the physical world. And I wonder if a person there is, uh, you know, just one step back from, you know, it, into a slightly deeper level of who they are. I, I'm not sure. Um, Chelsea, you had, had had some thoughts. Do you have something to continue from there? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I just find the research that is going on nowadays into trauma and how to heal trauma is so interesting. Um, and in what I've looked at, it is amazing how I feel like it does. I mean, I'm coming from a Swedenborgian perspective to begin with, but I see it paralleling what Swedenborg describes about how our spirit interacts with our body. And so just the fact that it, it seems like it's a, a sort of angle on noticing that we have a spirit and that can be more or less in our body, <laughs> you know, like we can kind of get detached, um, even though obviously there's still a life connection going on, but that, that it can fluctuate. And, um, and so, and what I understand from trauma is um, a lot of it is coming back, needing to come back into a sense of safety, you know, addressing what the source of the trauma is and what, um, what those triggers are and obviously create external safety if that doesn't exist. But if you, you know, are able to understand through the help of a therapist or something that you have safety, then there's, um, skills. Um, sometimes they're called like mind body to understand the safety that's there. Um, that you can recreate a sense of safety. And what's interesting to me is like, what creates that safety is a trust in love, like needing to trust in the reality of love, you know, inside. And that, that's something that just, you know, psychologists have found just like empirically that that's what creates a sense of safety. And you know, and then Swedenborg is writing how that, uh, you know, that love is our life and that we need that that is what, um, you know, 
grounds us. And so it kind of makes sense to me that that when we lose a sense of safety, we need to reconnect into a trust in love. And then that helps us ground into our body. And that kind of connects too for me um, with, I don't know how to say this simply, but just, you know, one of the core things that Swedenborg describes, like the theology of God is the union of the divine and the human, that there's, there's this power in our embodiment. And so, I don't know, it's just interesting that there's something important for our spiritual development to feel these things in our body. And so that, that trauma response that as a coping mechanism gets us to dissociate, that is a, like, that's something that we need to address, you know, that there's something like, okay, no, let's get you back into your body, get you into a place of safety. And that's, and that's healing. Um, so that's just interesting that there's this embodiment element to healing, to feeling safe. So I don't know if I'm sort of uh, saying that, but I will say there's interesting, uh, a book that I love that I'm really enjoying that's called The Transformation. That's by a doctor, um, James Gordon, who runs the Center for Mind-Body Medicine. He, he describes, if I have that right, he describes um, these mind-body skills that are really effective for healing trauma. Um, and it's all about getting back into your body with trust, with love, with safety. And so it's fascinating stuff to think about. Thanks to both of you. And that's great to have those resources too. Um, I, I feel like the connections between the study of trauma on the you know physical side or the earth side and then spiritual ideas about how the mind interacts. Um, I think there's a ton in there and I love getting to hear some of it here. Let's go to the next question. Um, hey, we're 0% of the way to our goal. Go to offtheleftei.com or otle.com slash donate if you want to get your gift matched two to one to help us spread the message. This is, second question is from Sin G, who asks, a gentleman shared that his loved one told him one hour in heaven is about four days on earth. This helps me understand the normally calm, happy demeanor of our loved ones when they visit us. What do you say? So is it is part of the reason why it doesn't drag on for people in the afterlife, that it goes a lot faster? What do you think, Cara? That's so interesting. I'm assuming this loved one was coming from the other side to tell that gentleman that. Um Swedenborg talks about how there just is not a measurement of time like we have on this earth. Our time is dependent on the physicality of this of the earth going around the sun and the revolution of the earth and all that kind of thing is how we measure time. But in the spiritual world, it's a spiritual state. It's a state of our mind and a state of our heart. And one thing Swedenborg says is that, um, Angels, i.e. all the inhabitants of heaven, the former human beings who have chosen a life of love and kindness and, and uh, helpfulness to other people, um, that their part of their wisdom, he says, is knowing that uh, it, it, uh, they don't think about the past and they don't think about the future. So they're in the present moment 
now is all there is very new agey now but this was you know 250 years ago uh that Swedenborg was writing about this so I think it is that secret uh, whether it's four days to R1 I don't know uh our job is to tell you what Swedenborg wrote about <laughs> and um so that concept of time being just dependent on our own state of mind what kind of what kind of thoughts are we in what kind of state of love are we in but so that would just be that you are where you are emotionally, intellectually, as long as you're there. And then the state changes and you move on to something else. So I think uh, whether that equivalent uh, that this loved one mentioned is accurate or not, it sounds good. In other words, there's more time there. There's no rush. They've got eternity. Uh, there's a lot of peace when you're just in the moment and not... Um, worried about getting on to the next thing or worried about what happened or worried about what you have to do next. So I, I dare say there's a few different sources of that kind of peaceful presence that uh, people have when they're visiting from the other side. I love that. I think that's such a uh, great point about just how calm and, um, you know, if you're not having to worry about what you have to do tomorrow, then yeah, you're going to feel a lot more peaceful. <laughs> um, and the other thing that popped to my mind in response to this question was what Swedenborg says about heavenly language and that angels can communicate in a, you know, a single word or a single something that would take so much time to say in, in earthly language. And so that, that's a way that like, even though he says that, you know, we just have to wonder what is the one-to-one? -one? How does time progress? Like we're living in time. The spiritual world is outside of time and space. That's somehow inside of us at the same time. Um, but that's one little angle is that, is that language. So I sort of get the sense of like, well, one hour in heaven is like, you can cover a lot of ground in a short amount of time when it comes to like getting information, having communication that, that in this world, we got to work for it, talk again and again, take more time. So, uh, so even just thinking about that in terms of, of communication and it, it's interesting to think about it the way this person has said they were shared with them that insight. Um, because I almost love the, uh, like this connects to both things, the way that spirits or angels when they do communicate to us or like through our dreams and stuff it's often in these like very short precise pithy you know this like boom there's this like drop of knowledge and wisdom and perspective uh and so even that phrase one hour in heaven is about four days on earth like if that's how it was said it's like i wonder what all that contains you know there might be a lot of depth in even that one idea that was conveyed so oh yeah i like that uh yeah, that's such a good point that even that announcement has something to it. Karin, what were you going to say? I was going to say, yeah, I really love what you you all have been saying. And I, I have always felt like um, the people on the other side, like when, when there's waiting for reunions, that it would just not seem like a long, 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 long time like it does for us on Earth when we're waiting to reunite with someone over there, that for them, the time will pass peacefully and quickly and it will just now it's, you know, the time will be right, you know. Um, but I also wanted to say, I'm just fascinated 
life, but sometimes he would talk in terms of time. Like he would say, I was doing this in the afterlife for about two hours and, or, or people are in the world of spirits for no more than 30 years or 20 years. And so he would sometimes um, describe something happening and compare it to a number of days or hours, even though he also says there isn't time. So I'm just really interested that this person who communicated from the afterlife also was using, uh, you know, language of time, even though the, the afterlife is timeless. And I think that's maybe just to give us a kind of sense for the feel, like maybe kind of the feel of what we would feel would be a four day experience for them passes much more quickly, like just an hour, just to, to help uh, communicate to us <laughs> earthly people who are, who are time bound. So I find that uh, fascinating and sweet, really, you know, just trying to talk our language. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking the same thing about Swedenborg's time references, even though he's saying that, spiritual stuff is state, not time. So great thoughts, everybody. I love getting to hear all that. We had donations come in. Uh, we get some thanks to say. Um, we want to say thanks to Jonathan. We want to say thanks to Tim. We want to say thanks to Desiree. And then to Stephanie. And we're now up to $360. Wow. With, with our matching. Wow. Carry the one and two. It's twice that much. So <laughs> off to leftdie.com slash donate. If you want to help us kick off our campaign and every dollar you contribute tonight gets matched two to one by a generous donation that we got. Okay, let's see um, what we want to do for question three. This is from John Bishop who asks, if everything we think and feel is essentially feedback about our proximity, our proximity to our soul and God's love, why do religions seem to interfere with the spiritual development of so many religious people. Karen, yeah, what do you think? <laughs> well, I think there's just a long history of things that uh, that answers to that. Um, long, long ago, that people could easily be guided by the, the feedback of, you know, their proximity to God, and they were very aware and could, could easily read the signs of of where their spirit was and, and what needed to happen to uh, get closer to God. But that intuition um, got blocked off as humanity got more enamored with the external world. And so actually there had to be a big um, reboot of how people learned about God because they lost, humanity lost that intuitive knowledge about God and how to be close to God. And so, um, God provided uh, in, instead like teaching that people would uh, receive teachings and then it could be written down or passed down orally. Um, and then it, religion had to come into being, meaning a, a set of teachings, like uh, humanity needed sets of teachings to um, learn the concepts that then, then could lead them towards awakening to, to that uh, awareness of God. And then the sad thing is that, that that was a good and necessary thing, but it got corrupted along the way. We have a show called When Religion Went Wrong, and it's about the, the meaning of the Tower of Babel story that people started using religion for selfish power. And so, um, so we have now this mixed bag of how religion is a tool, it's just a tool, and it it can and does help a lot of people, 
to just gain some concept of God that then they can use to start on their own path of a relationship with God. But sadly, often too, people get very messed up through uh, with false teachings or, you know, discouraging teachings or a frightening God idea. Um, so it, it's a mixed bag, sadly. Um, and, uh, but it was meant to be something good and helpful and we need to try to bring it back to that. Nice. Um, I, those are such awesome thoughts, Karen. And it's always fun to throw these questions around because I feel like I know everybody's going to share a different angle that it's like, I don't feel like I have to answer the whole question. It's just like, okay, here's one other little thing to think about, you know, another point to reflect on. Um, I, so two concepts to kind of like supplement and add to what Karen was sharing is I think about how um, we live in the world in a world of appearances. Like that's the nature of the world we live in. And Swedenborg talks about how, you know, even um, the teachings in the Bible are, uh, you know, they're, they're appearances of truth. That's the, that's the truth that we're interacting with all the time. Um, it has the appearance of truth, but it's not really true. Um, until, you know, you have the life and the love in it. Um, but like Karen was saying, we need teachings are helpful. That appearance of truth is essential for us to grow and develop into. Um, but I think because we're always dealing with appearances of truth in this way, something that, you know, you can have a written out truth. It's easy for that to become a belief that is really sort of being understood in not the most helpful, loving way, you know, or it's being used in the wrong way against other people or, um, you know, that, that there's pitfalls to that. And so another key thing that Swedenborg says we need for our spiritual development is he uses the word, well, I'm saying it in English, um, reflection that we need reflection is essential to our, um, to sort of be the catalyst for our spiritual development. And that's our ability to reflect on our own thoughts, to actually think about, to eat. So then to even question our own beliefs and why, or, you know, what, what am I believing? Is this, is this bringing me closer? Like he said, closer in that proximity to God's love or, or has it actually led me farther away? What's the, you know, we can, we can do an analysis. Um, and then we reflect on, obviously, you know, we reflect on our beliefs and we could also reflect on our behavior. How are we, you know, how are we behaving? How has that, uh, is, is this all aligned with my best understanding of, of God and divine love, um, or not? And so those, and I think, um, certainly there's a history of religions teaching and, you know, or a strain of religion that's like, you have to believe this, don't ask questions, you know, or like, this is, this is the truth. Don't reflect on it, you know, and that's, that's questionable. That's what Swedenborg was all about was like, hang on, hang on. Like that's cutting off this essential thing that humans need to spiritually develop, which is to think about the, the spiritual food they're being fed. And that actually helps, you know, spur our engagement with, with the, um, 
with the divine inside of us, like that, that, that leading. Um, and so, so those two pieces, I think are a play are players in this, in what you're getting at here, John, about, um, you know, it's easy for us to just sort of fall prey to appearances of truth that maybe aren't totally true, even if they're true on the surface, but it's like, well, what do you really mean by that? And then that necessity for us to reflect on our thoughts and actions and our beliefs to orient ourselves to love. Um, that That's my best take from Swedenborg that I feel like I can grasp right now. Anyway, <laughs> It's a hot take. I, I like it. Um, the I love how you put when somebody's asking you not to reflect on something, that's a red flag. I, I think in also in John Bishop's question here, saying that what we're feeling and thinking is a feedback about our proximity to our soul and God's love. I think that the way that people react to the religion that they're in is feedback about the state of the love that's in them. I think about the parable of the sower where Jesus is saying that scattering the seed, that the seed are truths, religious truths. So they're ideas and the same seeds can go into us in all these different states. Um, but if we've got a lot of thorns around, um, you're going to see it get choked, which is why you can see people who are holding in their hands the message of, of Jesus and love your enemies, but yet acting uh, more like the scribes and Pharisees. So it's interesting there that that, that itself is, is a kind of barometer like the one you described in the first half of your question. A lot's been going on donation wise. I mean, there's been a lot going on. I got to give me this mic for about 15 minutes here. We had anonymous who made a contribution. Thank you. We had Rosemary give in memory of her son and husband. Dennis also made a contribution. Sharon gave and Daniel gave. So now we're up to 535 raised, which is a thousand and seventy with the matching. If any, so we every dollar that comes in tonight gets matched two to one, and this is actually true through the end of May. So if you're watching this after the fact and you donate right now by going to offtheleftsider.com/slash/donate, then you'll get matched as well, thanks to our generous donor couple. Okay, cool. Let's sneak in one more before the the halftime break. This is from Matthew Bush, who asks which books of the Bible did Swedenborg say aren't written in correspondences or was it that they weren't divinely inspired? What's going on with the stuff in the Bible that's maybe not the main stuff or is it the main stuff? What does Swedenborg say about all that? Does anybody know? What's the answer to that? Karen. I can start off. Um, my understanding is what Swedenborg talks about when he's talking about the word and naming certain books that are part of the word and some that aren't. Um, other books can have correspondences and can have divine inspiration, but he specified um, something he called the word that has a continuous inner meaning, meaning it's, it's uh, in, in order, it's, it's giving an inner meaning of the entire uh, spiritual journey of Jesus Christ and also the entire spiritual journey of us as individuals. Um, 
and I think of humanity too, you know, there's, there's many layers of meaning, but uh, it's, it's that continuous inner meaning that he's, he's um, uh, pulling out and putting together in a, in a special way. Um, he did say, uh, for instance, he does not include the book of Job in that bunch. And yet he says the book of Job is written in the language of correspondences and it does have inner meaning is just not part of this continuous inner meaning story. And so that's, that's what I understand him to be saying. And I don't know if I should, I'm not gonna list all the ones that he said are not, but he basically includes in the word, um, the, the books of the five books of Moses, Judges, First Samuel, Second Samuel, First Kings, Second Kings, and then the, um, the Psalms and the prophets and the four gospels and Re revelation. <laughs> so that's what I'll say. <laughs> I, just, I, mean, I think that's pretty comprehensive. Yep. And there's a couple of outliers, like you mentioned, like sort of shoulder books that are correspondential, Job being the one that comes to mind for sure. And then he's got other things like the epistles that he doesn't seem to say are correspondential. But then I know Jonathan, Dr. Jonathan Rose has done a lot of looking at how seems like his fondness for them grows um, as he goes through his publishing of written stuff. But I don't know if he ever goes and says that there's a lot of correspondences in there, although a few lines in them certainly are speaking in the same way. Cara, yeah, what's what do you think? Yeah, just in terms of that um, progression that there seems to have been from early in Swedenborg's writings to late, he, he does in true Christian religion, which was his last published work, he does sometimes refer to some of those epistles of Paul as the word, even though back in the beginning with the Arcana, when he listed all the books of the word, they were not included. So he was loosening up in some way about it. Um, but that's just a piece of evidence that there was a, a somewhat of a different take on it, that he included quotes from Colossians or whoever in his references to the word. Kind of like a band or something. It's like, oh, Sweden was, you know, Arcana Swedenborg when he was young, Secrets of Heaven Swedenborg, he didn't care about those epistles, but then he got a little older and lived more life and slowed down. And it's kind of his acoustic, like, no, they're all good. Um, <laughs> we, we had, um, Rita gave an honor of Mike. I don't know if I got to mention that last time. But then we also had Christine who gave, and she said, thank you for your life-changing work. Thank you, Christine, for watching and, and for supporting uh, what we're doing here. Let's take a quick halftime break to say thank you in earnest to the people who have supported us. We like to do this every live show. Um, so first I want to just take a second to say thanks for everyone who's donated in the month of April. And we're just gonna show everyone on screen here. You pause it, save it, print it, laminate it. That's everybody who made what we do possible this month. So thank you. We're all applauding you from here. And um, as, a, as a token of our gratitude, we're gonna give away a free ticket to the off the left eye experience. This is our online full weekend of deep dive into the idea that the spiritual world is all around us and it's happening in June. So who's it gonna be? 
that gets to come and hang out with us at this event. Is that how you do a drum roll? Steve Turtle or Steve Turtle. You are the ticket raffle winner. Should you choose to accept, we would love to see you that weekend. And anybody who has a ticket to the Afterlife Life Experience can also, even if they can't make it that weekend, watch all the content at their leisure um, on demand afterwards. So great. And if anyone wants to sign up, just go to offtheleft.com and you'll see a handy sign up right there. It really is cool to, to get to, every time that we're at the end of a show or in it or a Q&A show, it's always this feeling of, oh, there's so much more we could could talk about with this. I know that when we're writing a, a program or a video, we have to leave so much on the cutting room floor. So getting to do a real deep dive on something is a treat for us. And, and I think would be a treat for any of you who are interested too. Okay, let's go. Jaden Bonner asks, do you believe that a judgment is coming to earth and after it, the new Jerusalem or golden age? What do you think? New Jerusalem. Let's talk about it. Chelsea. Okay. Well, I know there's a lot to be said on this topic. And so I will just start us off here. Um, that so Swedenborg is unique. One of the things that he, you know, he has these um, 18 published titles that he wrote during the second half of his life when from his mid fifties to his early eighties. Um, and um during that time, uh, yeah, during that time, <laughs> so he, he began writing um, his first work, Secrets of Heaven, in the late 1740s, early 1750s. And then he writes in 1757, he's had this spiritual awakening, his eyes open up to the spiritual world. And then he's like, whoa, 1757 comes along and he realizes there's like a whole lot going down in the spiritual world um and so much so that he documents it as like this is the last judgment that was foretold um in in the book of revelation and um but he's like it's not happening on earth it's all these major spiritual rearrangements that are happening in heaven that he's witnessing that he's like seeing all these societal shifts happening and uh, things getting figured out and all this stuff. So he wrote a book about it. You can look up his book that's called The Last Judgment about in other places too. Um, and so he's specifically saying it's not coming to earth, but that it is ushering in the spiritual era of the new Jerusalem, that what that means. And that that is uh, his main thing is like, that that's a time when kind of like the spiritual air we all exist in is getting clarified. Uh, you know, like if water is murky, but then you add a like precipitate, it makes it like, you know, all shift apart and then the water's clear and the, the dregs fall to the bottom. Essentially like a spiritual process like that went on where people got like really clear about themselves and, <laughs> and sort of everything got rearranged so that there could be more spiritual light, which, according to Swedenborg, is truth that's connected to love, reaching all of our minds down here on earth ever since 1757. And, um, and the only other thought I'll tack onto that is about this golden age. It's just curious. Swedenborg does say that it's like, it's a, it's a 
the era that we're coming across is like the you know the best the best thing <laughs> it's basically what he says because it's like this fulfillment but it's um but it has this like reaching back to the earliest to a sort of golden age or earliest state of of humanity it's curious it's like interesting to wonder what is he referencing in that in terms of our understanding now of human evolution um but uh it's it also kind of echoes what he says we all go through in our lives, which is we start life in innocence and then we live through our lives. And then the heavenly state is um, an innocence of wisdom, like that it has this life experience and then it's connected to love and truth. And there's this like beauty in that. Um, and so, uh, so it's kind of a reaching back and a going forward. So th those are my first my little spiel. Oh, Take it away, Karn. <laughs> That's great. That's great. The, the New Jerusalem coming at you. Yeah, Karn, don't let me get in the way. <laughs> yeah, that was great, Chelsea. That was a wonderful overview. And yeah, the thing is that is so different from how the book of Revelation has been understood for centuries is that well, Swedenborg says the whole Bible is a document about spiritual life. It's not about physical life. And so the prophecies are, you know, in the book of Revelation and um, that Jesus spoke about are things about the spiritual world and the spirit, like our spirits. And so he learned that there's not a judgment coming in a physical way to earth. But just like Chelsea said, it's something a huge event, huge shift in the spiritual world. And and that the golden age um, comes very gradually. And that's what, uh, you know, it's natural to wish it would just all. We're, we're doing a series right now about God and evil. And um, one of the things uh, coming up in that series is that evil can only be removed gradually. So we can only get back to that more pristine state of, of mind and heart collectively in a very gradual way. And even though we sure see lots of troubles still in the world, if you compare it to past centuries and past millennia, there's been a lot of progress and a lot of awareness um, about spiritual things, about human rights things, about many, you know, many awakenings and realizations that have improved the way people think on earth, even though there's still a ways to go. <laughs> um, and we have a show called The Spiritual Future of the Human Race, if you'd like to watch that to get some some hope. But it takes patience because it's it just has to be a gradual process. Yeah, I love this big picture perspective on what that means that both of you have been illustrating for us and i'll just add the oh the ever accompanying individual perspective that goes along with whenever swedenborg describes something that happens for a lot of people he says it happens for a single person in the same way so Jaden, earth like we're like i was saying in the parable of the sower the earth is your mind the earth is all of our minds so there's a judgment coming to earth all of us are having that kind of separating out that chelsea mentioned happen in our own mind where I was just doing this thing about the days of creation and how each of those is about the, the let there be light, the adding the firmament is when we start to 
understand that there's stuff in there from God and stuff in there that's not from God. And that's separating out. That is the judgment, the movement that happens. And the New Jerusalem's coming in the golden age in us. That New Jerusalem is this picture of this love-centered golden way that we look at life and all the ideas that organizes into this way that leads us to this happy life. So it's going to happen and it's going to happen for everyone, but it's also going to happen for us in particular. And I add, um, add one yeah, more thing because uh, I, I, when Chelsea was mentioning a reaching back and a going forward, the, the cool thing is that there was the ancient golden age and there's a future golden age, but the future one is one that we consciously choose, you know, both individually and collectively the innocence of the earliest people and of our own infancy was what else could there be? You know, we didn't know anything else than innocence, but the the future is we've experienced, you know, we've experienced the muck and we, we have an opportunity to choose that. We want to go back to that, that state of love and, and wisdom. Yeah. Thanks, but no thanks on the muck thing. (laughs) Uh, While we were, while we were just chitting and chatting, Henry gave, and he said, <clears throat> muchas gracias, adios, Jehovah. Mm. And then Dustin gave. So now we got 620 that will be doubled going towards our goal. Thanks, everybody. If any of you would like to add to that exciting total, go to offtheleft.com slash donate. Everything you contribute will be, as part of our uh, remembrance campaign, doubled because we got this donation that we can unlock as your donations come in. Cool. Let's do some more. This is question number six. Mm. We're making pretty good time here. Gabrielle asks, what is happening to someone diagnosed as schizophrenia when they have visual, tactile, and auditory hallucinations every day? I think I want to just begin by saying that schizophrenia wasn't a term in Swedenborg's day, so you can't know for sure what what in what he would say would fit into the category that people have now designed and called that. But um, I'm sure he'd have some interesting input on those kinds of experiences. So yeah, Chelsea. Yeah, I guess it's interesting um, to note maybe that uh, there have been um, Swedenborgian psychologists who have worked with uh, schizophrenic patients. Um, One more well-known one is uh, Wilson Van Dusen, um, where they were exploring what Swedenborg was describing in terms of how spirits are connected to our minds and then seeing how does that, can they, can that support them clinically with working with um, people with schizophrenia? And so there's a whole interesting body of work you can, you can look into there. Um, And, and, and that I'm not, you know, a professional at, so I can't speak any more to that. But when it comes to just like, a knowledge of what Swedenborg says, and maybe it's this, you know, this sort of speculation is um, Swedenborg describes, uh, we have a video that is how spirits are connected to your health. Um, And we explore, I think it was just earlier, I was talking about that, that connection of our soul and our body. And Swedenborg says that really our soul is interconnected. It's everywhere in our body. You know, it is, it is the activity in our body. And, um, but there's this sort of interface going on where we have, we are spiritual and physical. So, um, and so there's a clear distinction there. Um, 
And yet Swedenborg writes about like he, he was a scientist. So he just was making observations about what he was experiencing when these like spiritual phenomenon started happening to him. Um, and he felt like he could, he was aware of sensations he was having in his body and the spirits that they were associated with. Um, and, and he even, even though he describes that spirits aren't able to actually like possess our physical body, like they aren't there, there's a, you know, limit there. Um, they can through their spiritual influence essentially kind of activate our senses, our physical senses. So what we experience as something physical could be a spiritual influence, even though that doesn't mean a spirit is literally like speaking, you know, like it, we can basically just that our physical senses, there is some mechanism for them to be sort of, um, you know, stimulated by spiritual things. And, um, and so that just seems like that could very well be a part of uh, somebody who's having even visual, like tactile auditory hallucinations um, that there's kind of a lot of that going on. And that, um, but as far as like, what does that mean for the psychological state of a person? Like, I feel like that's kind of a, for, for psychologists and cl clinicians <laughs> to, to understand further, but those are some thoughts. Yeah. The, there was an article that I read, you know, looking at the, the, how spirits can affect your senses that you were mentioning, where the article was saying people who have auditory hallucinations, those hallucinations seem so real for them because there's actually the brain region that's associated with hearing lights up when those hallucinations are happening. And we were seeing that and, and thinking, well, Swedenborg writes that when you hear spirits, there is an inner root, which who knows what that means, that it, their voices take, which then activate your organ of hearing. So it could well be that that's the same interface. Um, yeah, cool. Thanks, Chelsea. Karen, did you have a thought? Yeah, I, I was going to mention that, Curtis. I'm glad you brought that up because, right, there's there's inner routes that our senses can actually get activated. And I was just very interested in all in the shows we had where we had Jerry Marzinski as a guest who worked with a lot of schizophrenics. And when he started reading, reading Wilson Van Dusen's works and, and Swedenborg's, he was amazed at the... Um, parallels between how Swedenborg described uh, evil spirits work, like their their tactics and their, their kinds of lies and what schizophrenics were um, experiencing when they are hearing the voices and things. And it, it seems to me like, uh, like I might experience all these voices as thoughts, you know, harassing thoughts or things that make me worried or fearful or upset. And there seems to be just a a thinning of the veil somehow that um, makes some people hear it as voices instead of just experiencing it as thoughts. So I think in, in our shows that we had Jerry, we were noticing that um, we, we all get these, uh, you know, <laughs> influences from spirits, but uh, it, it, for some it'll just be experienced as thoughts or maybe an ache or pain in the body, you know, who knows what's going on, but uh, others will, 
will have more awareness that there's spirits around and they'll, uh, they'll experience it more vividly and tactilely like that. Excellent. Well, thank you for expanding that. And uh, Gabrielle, I hope you found that useful. Next question. This is from Les Stevenson, who asks, is it true that God has a book called the Book of Life that we have a name we'll be called to heaven? So do we have a book of life as our name written in there or not written in there as it says in the Bible? Uh, yeah. Karen, do you want to start us off? There are two books of uh, two ways the phrase book of life is used in the book of Revelation. One is like everyone's books of life are getting opened, but also the Lamb's book of life is open and seeing if if uh, if people's names are in there. And we talked about this. I think it was in our uh, what happens immediately after you die. And what I remember, I believe Swedenborg learned about that was. Uh, we each have a book of life, which is our life review, basically our, you know, everything that we have experienced throughout our life and every, every little memory and every little motivation and thought and action. That's our book of life. And God's, the Lord's book of life is the, the ideal, the heavenly way, the heavenly state of mind, you know, the heavenly kind of life and the more we, you know, our, our goal is to um, align our book of life with the Lord's book of life. And I, I think that's what's indicated in that symbolism, like, is, is our name in the Lamb's book of life? Um, have we uh, chosen to align our, our own story with the Lord's, <laughs> you know, with the, with the heavenly state of mind that the Lord uh, wants to invite us into? Yeah, Chelsea, what, what, what were your thoughts on that? Thanks. Um, yeah, I was just thinking, again, to like I was just saying, is um, uh, about that name we will be called to heaven. It's just bringing to mind that what Swedenborg says about how we do have a spiritual name um, that is true, that we receive or we come into a knowledge of or something like that in in the spiritual world um and and so another episode we have on the spiritual meaning of names is about what that is like and that the name is um you know names are your qualities what it's like uh it's really about an articulation of your true self um and uh and so in a way that is, you know, all of that interesting symbolism uh, that Karn was describing, there is an activity of that in, in heaven when we're there in terms of receiving as our spiritual name. Okay. <laughs> I, I just had a thought. Can I jump in? Yeah. Were you done, Chow? Yes. I was okay. hoping for you to steal the mic. Okay, sorry. Um, it's just occurring to me that the uh, the thought might be behind a question like this, um, that there is a limited number of names in this book of life. And that if you're not in it, you lose. And I just want to um, 
clarify a thought about that, which is that uh, Swedenborg asserts that what's really happening when we get to the other world is that we are choosing uh, based on what we love and based on a lifetime of choices that has built our spirit. It's really us choosing whether we we are in the book of life or not, whether we're going to make it into heaven or um so I, I just don't want people to have this thought that through no fault of their own, their name might be in, not in the book of life. So, you know, it's, it's, it's something that the Lord, the Lord at creation has written all of our names in the book of life. He created us for heaven. If we want to take that journey. Um, so, it, you know, you're not going to lose out because well, my name just didn't make. <laughs> yeah, really. Everyone, I think everyone gets the call and you can just say, no, nah, I don't want to. Hey, while we were talking, things are going crazy here. Things are, <laughs> there's, there's chaos, good chaos. Um, so Keith gave in honor of Sandy. Thank you so much, Keith. And then we had Brian gave a really generous donation and along with it said, reading Emanuel Swedenborg is like walking to Emmaus with the Lord. Oh, wow. Aww, you know, awesome. like that's a pretty dope quote. So if <laughs> anyone's not familiar, the road to Emmaus is when Jesus is walking with his disciples. And it says, and he opened their eyes or something and expounded everything in scriptures having to do with himself. And that's, it's kind of a strange line because the, the scriptures at that time, they didn't have Jesus in them. They had Moses and Noah and they had the Israelites. And that is the smoking gun line, really, that, that shows that there's correspondences in the entirety of the Old Testament that relate to the life of Jesus and, and everyone. So that's just a very cool way to put it. Thank you, Brian. And thank you for your gift. And then we had Steve make a donation as well. In total, I was going to say we're up to 1,170, but then just hot off the presses, Martha came in and made a donation. So we're now up to 1,220, which is going to be doubled to 2,440 going towards it. So thank you, everyone. Um, um, And it's just so cool to hear about the experience behind something like walk into Emmaus and, and the people want a gift in honor of it. Cause it means people are encountering the same stuff I encounter in there. And uh, yeah, let's all work together to get it out. Okay. Next one. This is from young at heart who asks, does sin through heredity eventually drop out of our spiritual DNA? I'm thinking that that's not somehow, if that's not somehow the case, a toxic buildup would happen over generations. So sin through heredity, in case anyone is not familiar, is this idea that spiritually the choices you make, the things that you love, positive and negative, can be passed on to your progeny. So does that just, is that like heavy metals that stick around in your cells or what, what happens with that? Um, yeah, Karin. My understanding is that it can, like that's part of the mission <laughs> um, that for a long time since the, the fall, the fall of humanity, um, it has been building up. And that's that's why we, you know, we're born into a burden in our earthly level of our minds with a, a 
tendencies towards self-centeredness and materialism. Um, but Swedenborg does say it is possible to have it go the other direction. Um, I remember him specifically talking about when, uh, you know, when when people are working on having um, genuine love in their marriages and just really working on that, um, their children can, you know, that can affect their children. And uh, and that was one way he talked about it can it can go the other direction. And and I have to believe that even beyond like biological <laughs> reproducing um, anything we can be doing, working on ourselves, you know, um, cleaning up our inner act, you know, trying to turn away from e ego and and uh, towards God, we affect each other. And um, I, I think that that must be able to help too. us go on an upward tra trajectory. But my understanding is that it it is something that that can swing back up again as we we get more and more spiritually minded and turn towards God. But let's swing it back right now. Come on, we're all sitting around here and like figuring out how to live our lives and try to be good and learn these truths and everything. Um, Martha, Martha, who just had made a contribution, I hadn't seen it come in yet, but she said, in memory of Sid, thank you for your life-changing work on behalf of the Lord. And then... Since then, we had John make a donation. He said, love you guys. We love you too, John. And Lisa gave. We went out to 1,270 from 19 donors. Thanks, everyone. Let's try oh, wow. to squeak in one more. Can we, can we answer, possibly answer this in three minutes before the games? By the way, you're, we're going to do the games because this was j just sponsored by the, the donors who had provided the matching gift. But now you've obviously all contributed way more than the games are worth. So we're going to be doing those no matter what. Okay, here's three minutes. Question nine. Pierre Tardy asks... To say that men slash women are the bride of Jesus is very confusing and wrong in my opinion. Do you think so? I think many men may not feel good about that statement. Well, this is a kind of a confusing thing. So what, what does it mean to be the bride of Jesus and where does that come from? And let's sort it out really quick. Ready, set, go. Cara, did you want to start? Well, yeah. I just had the first thought about, um, yeah, the uh, Swedenborg talks about the church being the bride of Jesus. Um, and the church is composed of everybody in the Lord's kingdom, right? The kingdom of the Lord, um, which would include all genders. Um, so yes, I, I'll, I'll, yeah. I don't know where to go from there. Karen, take it away. <laughs> no, that's good. We've got to start and we've got 20 seconds now. I'm just kidding. Go ahead. Let's, we'll finish it out. Yeah, it, you really have to think everything in the Bible. You have to think about uh, not literal, physical, you know, physical people with certain bodies, or whatever. But um, thoughts and feelings, thoughts and feelings. We all have, uh, you know, we're all sons of the kingdom. We're all brides of Christ. We're all the the virgins with the lamps. We're all the disciples that were male disciples in the stories. Um, these are parts of all of us. And it just means different uh, different aspects of us and different um, uh, different aspects of our relationship with God at different stages and in different levels of us. So you have to think uh, symbolically. That's hey, way to rattle off all those um, examples. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Like because every one of those, Swedenborg goes in depth about what part of us that symbolizes and why. So Chelsea, let let take us home. 
Okay. And so the last thought is that I have that phrase, like the husband and bridegroom of the church. Um, and that uh, also the symbology that Karen is talking about um, the church in us is this quality of like, we've been talking about these ideas, those seeds that are getting planted in our earth, all this stuff. Like it is the, the framework of ideas that we develop in ourselves. And that, that church needs to get married to love, to divine love. Like it needs to have that union or that church isn't going to be much of anything. (laughs) And so that is the, the marriage, that marriage language that's being used there is because of that necessity for love to bring truth to life. Um, and so, so like Karn is saying, you really got to like shake off all the natural world associations you have with those words, but it's just, it's saying that same message that truth has to get united to love to, to have life. Okay. I, I love it. I'm going to get in huge trouble for this, but Karin, you can go ahead, even though we're over our <laughs> I just time. want to say, you, you can use the the bio, biological symbols to understand, like you were starting to say, Chelsea, about seeds being planted. Well, husband and wife, the man gives seed and the woman receives the seed and, and produces a child. And so we are the brides of Christ that we're willing to receive his love, God's love, and produce something from it, you know, receive that and... and produce it. So that's how we're the bride of Christ. (laughs) Thanks everybody for an awesome slate of questions. And now we're going to get serious. It's time for the games. And the first game is our best friend in the world. It's grading Swedenbot. Let's go. (laughs) All right. There's our Swedenbot. And so for anybody who's new here, um, Swedenbot for real is an AI, if I'm using this language correctly, a computer thing that we fed all of Swedenborg's works to. I mean, maybe you haven't read them all. I haven't read every word of them, but Swedenbot has. (laughs) And then Swedenbot having this robotic fluency in Swedenborg can then, in the way AIs can do this, um, compose Swedenborgian theology. Um, <laughs> so this is our this is our sort of embrace uh, of the virtual world we live in by having um, to be doing this sort of theologizing with the AI of Swedenborg, our own. So it's just hilarious. This is so silly. So yeah. Swedenbot um, <laughs> gives us a readout of a few things that are real, are real quotes from this AI, and then we we just give them a grade. So yeah. and how similar they are to real Swedenborg. Yes. In terms of the theology, we all have read with our human brains. So, <laughs> so take it away, Swedenborg. Okay. I have also been told that the light flows in from the Lord's face to the point that they were scarcely aware that they were <laughs> naked. <laughs> That's quite oh, a mixture. Oh, <laughs> that sentence didn't end where I thought it was going to end. <laughs> yeah, that, went, that went to new places. Um, <laughs> but so I'm I'm noticing in, in past shows, I've known what the quotes were going to be, but I didn't this time. And yeah. um, I'm just picking up on, you know, doesn't Swedenborg say that the 
people in the highest heaven look naked or are naked, appear naked, or something 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 about that innocence and and uh, yeah, nakedness. it's also yeah. I think referring to the Adam and Eve story. Yeah. Oh, scarcely aware that they're naked. Good yeah. point. I I feel like it sounds like yeah. it's, the lights cranking up, and we're we less and less. We're so blissed out that we don't even know we forgot <laughs> our pants. I don't. That's not how it works. Like Lord's <laughs> light brings clarity. So, I mean, I don't. It what do we want like to Swedenborg mi mixed up a, a spiritual experience that Swedenborg had with the literal sense of the Bible. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was like a. Yeah, it, it might be even a D. Just, well, C or D, because it I just C, totally yeah. mixed up things together. <laughs> sure. So what do you? Okay, C. It sounds like we heard some C's. Great. All right. Next one. Okay. The Lord teaches that He leads us to want to be happy, and therefore against divine design. <laughs> oh, sweet of what? Oh, F. I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Easy one. Yeah. yeah, that's true. It's an F, right? Because the Lord um, would never lead us against the divine design. Can't do that. And and being happy is not against the divine design. It's the opposite. So swing and a miss. Yeah. <laughs> all right. But, but an what? endearing, adorable swing, all the same, sweet <laughs> Yes. Good try. Okay. Let's see what the next one is. All right. <clears throat> regenerate people believe that the Lord is the son of God and the appearance of God. The same is true of all the sheep, the goats and the goats in her husband. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, a we, too much to drink. I think we used, <laughs> we used our F up already, but oh, I think it's, an, it's another one. It's, it's another a, it's F. A, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's, it just is. There's such a tangle in there. It's, I don't even know if it's worth teasing it out. <laughs> The same is true. All the sheep, the goats, the goats and husband. Yeah. Is, yep. is there anything? So, yeah, it's, 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 there's a the woman whose husband eats goats. Yep. And, and I will say too, it bothers me that, you know, regenerate people believe like a certain thing that kind of goes against the grain to me a bit too. Like, you know, like yeah. regenerate people might have all got, you know, have different uh beliefs but they're still in the process of regeneration and everything so yeah i'm no he didn't really ever use sorry were you done oh yeah i just said sorry about it sweden bot <laughs> it's the, an, off, it, an off day for sweden but <laughs> the appearance of god he talks about the son of god he never, never really talks about the appearance of god as an entity um yeah, right. okay hey that's good well the machines are learning but not that fast <laughs> okay let's do our next game which is going to be a battle of wits between all the panelists in guess that swedenborg phrase <laughs> all right we're gonna have fun trying to guess this real phrase from Sweden, one of Swedenborg's books. And the contestants will take turns guessing a letter. For every correct vowel, you get one point. For every correct consonant, five points. If you guess the whole phrase correctly, it's 20 points. But if you guess wrong, you're out. And if you guess a letter that's not on the board, it's negative five points. 
And mm. the winner, whoever has the most points at the end, uh, doesn't have to do the elevator pitch, is exempt. <laughs> All right. Man. So we are going to start out with Cara guessing a letter. I think. Let's, let's go with T. <clears throat> yes, there are three T's. So that's a good one to start with. Okay. All right, Curtis, how about you? Can, can I get an S? Uh, one S. What? Yes. All right. We're creeping along. Chelsea. Um, H. One H. Okay. So. Tough one. <laughs> step by step. All right, Cara. Mm. N. Yes, there are three N's. All right. That's filling it up a little more. How about Curtis? L. Four L's. So I'm talking about. My, yeah. my way back to the top. <laughs> All right. And Chelsea. Um, D. Yes. Four Ds. Four Ds. All right. Maybe a word or two starting to get clearer. Uh, Cara. Who's in R, the R, please. Oh, six R's. Whoa. Whoa. Look at that. My R's goodness. Wow. Very good. All right, Curtis. Okay, E. Woo, 13 E's. <laughs> Man, I wish E was a consonant. I know. Oh, but that's pretty many points nonetheless. Wow. <laughs> All right, that bumped up the, the letters. All right, uh, Curtis, do you want to guess or no? Uh <sighs> No, I won't guess it. Yeah, no, okay. Taking too long. <laughs> okay, so I can guess a letter and then I can guess it. Is that I get to do both? Yes. Okay, I'll guess M. <clears throat> One M. Okay, and so I think it is. There are deeper and more external levels to every individual. Uh, ding 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 ding! Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yes. I, was, I couldn't figure out what that last word was. I thought it was like Gandalf or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's from Heaven and Hell. Nice. 351. Oh, but Cara still won. Cara is our winner. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> painful. Painful. But cheers. Cheers for Cara. I'll be a. If there's any justice, I'll get the elevator pitch, but we'll see. <laughs> if there's any justice in the world. In this, in this crazy world. Okay, speaking of that. concept to remember that we all have these levels, more external, deeper levels. Just yes, yes. really that good. A really lot good. to you, <laughs> all of you. And it's kind of like the, the way the games move. It's like Swedenbot was kind of like silly and external today. And then we're, but this is about to get deep here in... Elevator pitch. Let's go. Okay. This is the game where we have one minute to explain what and why something is important. That's a Swedenborg concept of some kind. You imagine you stepped on an elevator. Someone asks you about it. You got to give them the pitch. And let's see who's going to be the pitcher. I think it's just between Chelsea and I, right? Or no? Right, oh, Karen's in there. Yeah. Oh, well, I didn't see it. It I went by it fast, was... but yeah. Oh, Karen's dreams. Okay. <clears throat> okay. 
Okay, so Karin, um, we've just, the rest of us have all just stepped on an elevator and we say, hey, aren't you that person from that Swedenborg thing? You know, I've always wondered about dreams, according to Swedenborg. What do you think about that? And your answer will begin in three, two, one, go. The world of dreams is this fascinating meeting point of earthly life and spiritual life, the afterlife and earthly life. And Swedenborg learned that in very ancient times, people were able to get direct revelation through dreams, like the direct voice of God and direct guidance. And uh, that doesn't happen so much anymore. Um, there are occasionally still prophetic dreams and, and things like that, but but mostly dreams uh, nowadays, if we know how to read that language, which is the language of correspondences, we can learn things about um, what's going on in our minds, but also it's, it's a reflection of conversations that are being had by spirits and angels that are connected to us. So in this wonderful symbolic world, <laughs> we can get a little taste of connecting with the afterlife and sometimes even with a loved one. Oh, <laughs> ringer at the end there. I want to stay in the elevator. <laughs> That's right. It's like, like, don't get off now. Yeah. <laughs> Go back to the first floor. Cool. Thank you, Karin. Great summary of the importance of dreams and all they can do for us. It's it's been um it felt like four days, but it's only been an hour, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Reference. Callback, is that what they call that? Um I want to say thank you to everyone who donated. We ended up with one thousand two hundred and seventy dollars from nineteen donors, Ooh, which is gonna be wow. matched double and be the kickoff for our remembrance campaign uh, that's going through the end of May. So if you're watching this in post, go to offtoleftdie.com slash donate, and you can help us get toward our goal of 15,000 for the month. We're already more than a 15th of the way there. So thank you. And thanks to the panelists. I, I just love getting to hear firsthand the insights that you all have into the material. So um, appreciate uh, you spending your time here. Man, it was great to be here. Uh, the questions are just so big and so real. I felt stumped by a lot of them. So uh, thanks for sticking with us while we just chew them over and uh, walk in the path with us. Yeah, hear, hear to what Kara's saying. And um, I just really love uh, getting to think about these two things together. It gives me new thoughts. And, and I hope that you feel fed by it and supported in your spiritual journey, whatever that looks like, and know that you are loved. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, you are so loved. And we're so grateful. I'm so grateful for your donations really help us keep doing what we're doing. So thank you so much. And just your presence here in the chat is wonderful. I love how everybody supports each other and talks to each other. And your questions, like they were saying, are fabulous. I just love the brain stretching that goes on and how we can try to think about these things from an angle uh, that Swedenborg gives us and see what we can we can come up with. So thank you so much. Thanks, everybody. Have a great night or day or whenever you're watching this, and we'll see you again really soon.